Hey everybody, talkingbook.pub is a non-profit audiobook publisher of independent literature. We are located in Asheville, North Carolina, and because we are a nonprofit, uh, donations and help from people like you who love these books and love these recordings really helps a lot. So if you want to get involved, donate to our Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash talkingbook, or go to our website, talkingbook.pub, and read about our mission, send us an email, give us a call, whatever you want to do. But enjoy the episode. Thank you. Hey everybody, Chris here from the Talking Book Podcast, the Talking Book, which you know is a 501c3 uh, publisher of uh, independent literature and audio, audio books, this podcast, stuff like that. Today I have a new excerpt from a writer named Joseph Rathgaber. Um, Joseph is a a writer and a teacher, uh, adjunct professor from New Jersey, and he's got a new book coming out called Mixed Bloods from Fomite Press in June. And this book is about the Ramapo Lenape uh, natives in Jersey uh, who are a destabilized people. Um, their origins are often debated and mythologized. They're struggling to survive in the face of an ecological devastation visited upon them by the neighboring Ford plant, which has dumped paint sludge in abandoned mines for decades. And the EPA hasn't delivered on its promise of a cleanup and the woods in which they hunt and play are toxic. And uh, it's a pretty uh, crazy situation that I had no idea existed before I started reading this. But um, but anyway, yeah, check out this uh, excerpt from Joseph Rathgaber from Mixed Bloods, debut novel, Fomite Press in June. Uh, enjoy. Zyke and Elsie lived in a 1960s Rolo Home 10-wide trailer with broad horizontal stripes on the exterior, pastel pink, blue, and white. A giveaway New York Jets flag was roped to the hitch, and a slide-out awning provided some cover for the steps where Elsie grew thyme, spearmint, and basil in buckets. Zyke's roached-out four-stroke Honda dirt bike was leaned against the rear of the trailer. Its chain and sprockets were oxidized orange, and the seat fairing had a graphic of the Blessed Virgin, orioled with blue acetylene flames. She was crowned with a Wu-Tang W decal, and the Misfits Crimson Ghost skull logo was stuck where her mons pubis would be. Exley de Grote made a rattly knock on the door, but pulled it open to let himself in. The TV was on, a game show rerun, and, aside from the shrieks of a winning contestant, the place was silent. The bedroom was full of light. There were no window treatments. Zyke was asleep in bed, sheeted toes to chin. The sheet was tucked under his sides like a mummy. An issue of X-Force had fallen open at his side. The bag and backing board on the lid of a long storage box dragged within an arm's length of his box spring. The comforter had been thrown back, and Exley could see the underside was imbrued with brown bloodstains. A helmet of dun, fro-like hair obscured his brother's face. This wasn't the man-child who everyone said could deaden a horse with a fist blow. This wasn't the mongrel who it was rumored could jump in and out of a waist-high 55-gallon barrel without ever touching the sides. This wasn't the Satan worshiper or the kitten sacrificer or the legendary water fountain killer. That man never existed, which was something Exley had become increasingly sure of over the past several years. 
X was still studying the stains when Zyke stirred and started talking. I'm cold, bro. It's cold, ain't it? It's like a hundred degrees in here, Zyke. Exley sat on the edge of the bed. We're in the middle of a heat wave. Zyke sat up slowly, folding back the sheet. He wore boxers and nothing else. His body had become the disposal sites that had done this to him. The landfills, the mines, the sludge heaps. He was crater-chested with a coppice torso, hairless where so much skin had been carved away in swaths. Zyke was both baleful and beautiful, in the way a civil war would be to a historiographer. He really hadn't aged or matured, not as a social being anyway, since he was stricken with sickness and the surgery started. He was diagnosed in April of his senior year, expelled in June, and on the OR slab in August. And he was stunted. His interests were the same as when he was a young blood: motocross, comics, and heavy metal. Elsie, too, of course. Everyone thought her to be superhuman, having stayed with Zyke, her high school sweetheart, through all the hardship. I thought I'd stop by and check on you, X explained. You should. You're my little bro. Here. Exley handed Zyke three rolls of gauze. I come bearing gifts. Thanks, bro. Zyke stashed the gauze into the dresser drawer. He pulled out a pair of sweatpants and Exley helped him get them on. I need you to help me get clean while you're here, too. X avoided eye contact. Zyke cracked his knuckles, pressing down on the chunky skull rings he always wore, sterling silver ones Unky Orin made for him. The cracking helped him control the tremors in his hands. Zyke walked to the kitchen, bow-legged to prevent his thighs from rubbing and inflaming his already swollen groin. His colostomy bag hung like a holster over the waistline of his sweatpants. He rummaged his hands in the kitchen sink, empty whiskey bottles clinking. He foraged the cabinets in the pantry. You need me to do a liquor run? Nah, 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 Zyke said, disappearing into the bathroom. X heard something fall, and Zyke emerged guzzling green from the family-sized Listerine. He plopped down into an armchair. Unky Oren's been on me about taking the teetotal pledge. Like he's one to talk, right? Exley sat across from him on the sofa. Zyke kept guzzling, wincing after each draft. He raised his arm and sniffed his pit. X got a clear view of the tawny carbuncles. So where's Elsie? She was in AC for the weekend. Now she's visiting with Sandra. Where she live? Neptune. Zyke sniffed himself again. I stink. Exley inventoried the items on the top shelf of the entertainment center. A semicircle of picture frames, an air freshener, a stack of CD jewel cases, a gaudy bowl of potpourri, a pedestaled crucifix. Zyke leaned forward. Exley watched the colostomy bag crease. All right, let's do this, eh? Zyke finished off the Listerine and flung the bottle into the kitchen. He staggered to the shower stall, so full of ire that Exley had to do the undressing. He tried to be gentle, stretching the elastic as wide as would allow, careful not to graze his brother's maculate flesh. There were wens and boils and striated strips. He was a body full of pus. Whole sections seemed flakily scalded. He'd been cut excised, whittled down. His body was the rough draft of a horror story, and there was more to be deleted. But Exley thought, with so much gone, what's left to take? It was ablution by sponge bath. Exley pointed the shower head away from Zyke's body, and the weak water pressure cascaded down the tiles. 
Exley ragged him down, tentatively. Zeit groaned and braced himself with both hands on the frame of the shower door. His sweat glands were prone to infection, and that accounted for most of his surgeries. Exley gently went over the grafts with the wash rag. He skimmed over wrinkly tissue. I'm sorry, bro, Zyke said, beginning to cry. The smell was overpowering. Exley had to turn his face away from the shower stall every few seconds. I'm good, bro. Don't worry about it, Exley said, closing his mouth and pushing the air out his nostrils. The pus running out of Zyke's body was a slurry spiraling down the drain, like the Freon, the battery acid, the radiator fluids streaming through the valleys of the Ramapos. Zyke began to sob. I stink, bro. I fucking stink. Zyke's chest heaved, and Exley rinsed the soap off him. Elsie can't sleep with me in the same bed, man. My wife, my own wife, won't even fuck me. I ooze, ex. I'm feast of myself. I disgust her. I disgust me. I reek, bro. I'm fucking gross. She's afraid to even touch me. Exley remembered when they were kids. The shared tub bathing in the same basin of grime and skin cells as his elder brother. He remembered how Zyke's long legs lined the tub, his knees slightly bent and emerging from the surface, the wet hairs, wooded hilltops. Exley, always a shorter version of his brother, would sit between those legs, meditatively folding the wash rag into a smaller and smaller square, until Zyke held up his shriveled fingers, retching in a hoarse and trembling voice, a monster. Exley would clamber out of the tub, afraid as he ever was, and run into his parents' bedroom, leaving a trail of bubbly water behind him. Stop scaring your brother, Hannah would holler. Their dad would hear the rapid footsteps, the splashing, and call from the living room. That wood's gonna get waterlogged and rot, Hanny. She'd answer, get off your keister and come clean it then, Norval. And then they'd hear Exley slip and crash into the wall, and they'd all roar. Let's get out of here, X said, turning off the water, grabbing a ratty towel. He held Zyke's elbow. Come on, step. Exley patted him dry. Pat, pat, pat around the puckering fistulas. The craterous moonscape of his broad back. Pat, pat. Zyke was sterile. He was unmanned. Exley moved him into the bedroom and searched through a hamper for clean clothes. There was a cheval glass facing the corner wall. Zyke approached it, mother naked and turned the mirror around. He wanted to behold his body in full. He assessed the totality of the damage done unto him, the geology of his body, the way the skin grafts bulged or depressed in thrust faults. He marveled at it. How couldn't he? What other way was there to interpret the quicksilver pus that pushed through his body and pooled in a surface abscess? He tilted back the cheval glass and leaned forward, filled with the naive hope of falling inward into another dimension or an alternate universe, or even into a shattered oval of reflective glass that would cut open his veins and drain him completely. He stood there before his own image and held it in the hollow of his hands. Come on, Zyke, sit down. Zyke followed his brother's lead and sat on the edge of the bed. Exley began dressing him, stretching and applying gauze. Zyke opened the nightstand drawer for a prescription bottle and tapped out morphine tablets. Exley pinched the ends of a thin paper pouch and smoothed a fentanyl patch onto Zyke's meaty arm, completing the right. Falling back onto the bed, Zyke said something. What? Exley asked. You've been ballin', 
Zyke mumbled. Sometimes it was a struggle for him to speak. The surplus of canker sores lining the interior of his mouth, his fleshy cheeks, his geographic tongue, not to mention the booze, made for a muddled talk. A court transcript would indicate garbled in square brackets. It was nothing short of speaking in tongues at times, but Zyke was beyond religion and beyond saving. Here and there, X answered. Here and there? Why, is your knee still injured? I'm feeling better lately, stronger. I don't know if I'm going to go out next year, though. Fuck you're not, Zyke shouted, slurring the words together. Why the hell not? Senior year, bro. You'll be starting varsity, no? I don't know, maybe. X collected the paper wrappings of the fentanyl patch and crumpled them in his fist. We'll see. Orange light filtered into the trailer, altering it. Zyke was out. Exley lifted his brother's tree trunk legs onto the bed. He switched out the stained comforter for a fresh one and folded it at the foot of the bed. He clicked on a tower fan. Entering the living room, Exley felt the ghostliness of the space. He removed a picture frame from the entertainment center. It was taken on a Halloween afternoon. His dad's on his knees between him and Zyke wearing an elaborate headdress of polyester plumage. Their motor is in the background, looking on disapprovingly. She stands behind the open passenger door of their station wagon. Their parents would drive them to the Cragmere or Rio Vista sections of Mawa because those families gave out king-size candy to trick-or-treaters. That image of his dad, Exley realized how proud he appeared in it. Not of his heritage, but of his two sons, one under each arm. Exley, a pirate with a burnt cork beard. Zyke, a zombie. They each held a pillowcase, and their dad was a noble savage. Exley remembered him waving to the Rio Vista residents from the car, his headdress like a wing affixed to the driver's side window. Exley replaced the picture frame and pushed in the lock button on the doorknob as he left his brother's trailer. Okay, everybody, that was the reading by Joseph Rathgaber from his new book, Mixed Bloods, coming out in June from Fomite Press. Joseph, thanks so much for that excerpt. Um, Please get that book. And uh, if you guys, anybody else wants to do a reading or an excerpt for the Talking Book podcast um, or whatever, hit us up at our website, thetalkingbook.org. We got some really cool audiobooks coming out uh, from the publisher, um, Welfare by Steve Anwill from Tyrant Books. Eleanor or the Rejection of the Progress of Love by Anna Moskovakis. Um, let's see what else. We got um, Gravesend by William Boyle coming out from Pegasus Books. And uh, we also just released All My Goodbyes by Mariana Diamopoulos from uh, Transit Books, which is another awesome nonprofit uh, book publisher, independent book publisher in San Francisco. So thanks so much for listening to the Talking Book Podcast. My name's Chris. Woody's here, uh, one-year-old Woody. Uh, he's here hanging. Everyone's here. Everyone's here. Why aren't you here? We just had uh, Scott McClanahan and uh, Julia Descoria stay at the Talking Book House when she was reading from um, her new book at uh, Malaprops Bookstore here in Asheville. Her new book, Juliet the Maniac from Melville House. Get that. Anyway, I'm just going on and on. I'm ranting now. Just come hang out. Come see us. Uh, thanks so much. Uh, my name's Chris. Bye. Like a bishop 
Who has forsaken sympathy Chasing sister squares I was lit Before I Sleeping in the square